Today on Seven Figures, we are going to focus on women in leadership positions. We're going to help you get the keys to that corner office. We'll give you tips on how to work your way up the ladder. Plus, is it okay to show emotion in the corporate world? I am Sandy Waters. Thank you so much for being here, taking time out of your day to join the podcast. Each week, we invite in financially savvy people, super smart, successful individuals who we can learn from. The goal is to walk away with little nuggets of financial knowledge that you can put into action today and ah, feel comfortable and good about your financial future. Thank you to our friends at Family First Credit Union, big supporters of the Seven Figures podcast. Okay, let's cash in with our expert today, Susan Hughes, a real estate agent from Howard Hanna, also the president of the Women's Council of Realtors. Susan, I am looking forward to this episode with you. Thank you for uh, agreeing to join the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Sandy. Okay, so we got a lot to talk about with you. Um, first, let's start with your story. Because you worked really hard to get to where you are today, a woman in a leadership position. I had started in theater and communications and okay. gone into a oh, corporate it's in life. You. The theater is in oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yes. And that's another area um, where... you are not shy at all. I no, Well, I am shy, but people don't know that until they get to know me a little bit better, that this is something that I have worked on all my life. And of course, when you're in theater, you have a role to play. Yeah. You're not you. Yeah. So it makes a difference. But I come from um, that background and communications in terms of writing, in okay. terms of presentation. And when we start talking about, you know, women in leadership and taking control, that's kind of my background. I went from a corporate life um, after college where I was married and had two children, mm -hmm. worked for Chase Manhattan at the time in product development and communications and came from benefit communications, very kind of secure, typical nine to five jobs, but always wanted to do real estate. Oh, okay. And my first husband did not want me to do that because the security of, you know, a real job and benefits and bringing in money was more important. And I came from parents, a father who'd worked 30 years at Kodak, that our lives then were based on security. Yeah. Well, I got divorced. So that meant I had to go out and make a living for myself. I'd now, at this point in that marriage, who was who was managing the money? My husband managed the money. I was a stay-at-home mom for a while with my second child, which okay. made it all the more difficult to break into anything professional when I went back. And I feel like so, that's a familiar story to a lot of women that are listening right now. Exactly. So when I went back and interviewed for communications positions, it was basically $20,000 a year, and you might be working more than 40 hours a week, potentially 50 well, I couldn't do that. My kids were eight and five, and my ex moved to another state. Fortunately, I had local parents that could help. But so I thought, well, I have to be there for the dentist appointments yeah, and the choir rehearsals and the whole thing. So I did get into real estate at that point. So thank goodness I was forced out of my box into taking a leap of faith. And, you know, I, I do have faith. So I think that I was very fortunate that it worked out for me. In fact, my divorce attorney, the divorce took three years. So this was not a short process. Oh, wow. The divorce attorney looked at me and said, you know, if you can do anything else, you really should. Because <laughs> really? it's not it's not an agreed upon compensation. You work, you might get paid, you might not get paid. And at that point, you know, everything had yet to be decided with child support. So, yeah, it's a it's a very dicey profession in terms of knowing when your commission is going to come in. That is a reality for a lot of women 
when a divorce happens, everything is now all of a sudden on your shoulders. How versed were you about your personal financial situation? You know, did you know where the 401k money was? And well, I learned what he tried to hide. Ah, because there was some money that he tried to, you know, put aside and hide from the divorce attorneys. But I had known some because of the fact that I came from also a corporate benefits communications angle. Okay. So prior to my Chase job, I had done corporate benefits. But writing about corporate benefits is a little bit different than having to run them yourself. So I had a look at state programs for health insurance for my children, for example. Never had to do that before. Um, I had to learn how to pay all the bills myself, learn how to budget. I knew some of it, and I understood some of the investments. Yeah. But then when those decisions become entirely yours and your two young children are depending on you, that's a lot of pressure. And as women, you just do, right? You just do what you got to do. Well, my ex, when he moved out of state, had a job, but then there were some years when he wasn't employed and I didn't get paid child support. And was I, he really not employed or was it air quotes not employed? How would I know? But <laughs> sure. I, am, I am just thinking as a woman, yeah. I would go work at McDonald's before I let my kids not have food. We would do what needs to be done. There's no, oh, the next job isn't really good enough for me. I need to interview some more. No, we, we will take the job and we will work our way up. And these were probably valuable lessons that you were teaching your kids, you know, watching your work ethic and watching, okay, mommy's making this happen. Well, and sometimes they resented that. I mean, I made all their concerts and they say I didn't. But also I think, you know, there was a fair amount of time spent with their grandparents, which I think in retrospect was actually very good because they have the same ethics and morals that I do. They have chosen not to get into real estate because they see the number of hours committed to it. People think it's, you know, maybe evenings and weekends. No, I work a good 50 hours a week and I don't even know when to stop because we're driven by the business. So whenever people say, I want to go see this house at this time, and then we might have to write an offer and then we come back and we do the paperwork, there's a lot more to it than people expect. So You're working around everyone else's schedule except for yours. Exactly. So you think there's a lot of free time, a lot of flexibility, and there is and there isn't. So you have to decide at some point what, how much money is enough for you. Did you, during that time where you were really becoming established, were you at any point like, okay, I got to pull the chute, I'm bailing out? No, hmm. never. No, I had a lot of support from the firms I worked with. And I will say it's pretty much a sink or swim occupation. There's not a lot of, join me, we're going to make it work. It's, here, here's what you got the tools to work with. Please go do What you can do, you start with people that you know, and you work that list out. And maybe you do open houses. So um, I was very fortunate. I just kept my nose to the grindstone the way I'd been taught all my life Mm -hmm. and worked really hard. You know, I'm 24 years in the business. At this point, there's no taking anything for granted. There's no someone's going to scoop you up and help you. It's you you have to do the business yourself. You have to have the goals and objectives. Uh, that we talk about also in, in finance, you have to have those as a professional. It's pretty cutthroat. It is very cutthroat. I, Susan, was in real estate for a hot second, and I was horrible. I'm going to be honest with you. I was selling, uh, my neighborhood was developing, so they were new builds. My husband would have the guys over on Sundays. I'm like, I want an excuse out of the house on Sundays for football <laughs> Sundays, so I'll show open homes. And I would just stand there and, I don't know, hang out. 
Oh my gosh, how cutthroat it was. Some of the male realtors would come in, talk very condescending to me, call me honey. Like, honey, my client wants, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh my God, this is, you got to be tough. Thick skin. And I'm not at all. So I I have to approach it the way I work is the way I am. Yeah. And so if they want to work with whoever is the more cutthroat agent, okay, there is someone for everyone, as they say. But my style is going to appeal to clients like myself. So those are the people that I want to work with because they're going to be genuine to me and I'm going to be genuine to them. Being the president of the Women's Council of Realtors, let's talk about women in leadership positions. Do you feel with the research that you've done um, that we're finally catching up? I think we're stalled. Mm. Um, before I became president of Women's Council of Realtors, I prepared you know, a speech for my uh, initiation. And I listened to Sheryl Sandberg's 2010 TED Talk on women in leadership. And she had some very interesting perspectives. It, it actually led to her book being written about women representing about 15 to 16% of corporate positions. And that number had not changed since 2002. Mm. And in fact, it looked like they were sliding backwards. So we're not where we should be now. And when I looked at it in terms of real estate, there are statistics and a 2015 National Association of Realtors study saying that female realtors get paid approximately between 70 and 75% of their male counterparts. And it's a commission-based business. But what they're really saying is women are not making it into the upper tiers of leadership and management. Is it because we're not, we don't feel driven enough to work our way up the ranks or why? Well, that's a very good question. I'm sure it's one that many agents ponder, but there are people who have enough on their plate. Maybe they're balancing enough. Mm -hmm. So they don't think of themselves going into a management position. There are very few CEOs at a management level for real estate. So I see more agents who are working independently, but so independently that they're not related to the greater whole. They don't see the bigger vision. Uh, so they manage their own business. They're the CEO of their business, but yeah. they're not the CEO of the company. And, and so yeah. they're not moving forward. They're not moving upward. They're just staying lateral. We've seen the statistics, the studies that show that diversity in leadership is crucial. In Makes all a big sorts difference. of diversity. Yeah. The more different people you have at the table, it is statistically proven that that company will do financially better. Which by having sense. those people involved, right? right? Because you need all those perspectives at the table. It's not just women, but women do come with particular skill sets. So the woman listening right now that's in their position and kind of, I think we all get comfortable though. Like you just gave the example. We're, we're just comfortable. And we think about, oh, I could apply for that promotion, but... How much time do I have to invest? Because I have a family that I do have to take care of, right? Do you think that's a big reason why women don't even try for these positions? Yes. I think as much as we've had a cultural shift, I don't think men are quite there in taking 50% or more of the load of the family. My personal experience has been really good with my husband now is in real estate, so he's awesome. But I would say that women still take the burden mostly of getting the kids to the soccer practices. Um, or figuring out 
planning who's going to go where and when and what time they need to be there more often than not tends to be our job, it right? Does. Organize the family schedule. But that's what makes us good managers. We are CEOs of the family, mm-hmm. and somehow we have to make that translate into something that gives us a financial payback. Now, you said something before we went on the air that was really interesting that I never really thought about. When uh, there's opportunities within a company to volunteer for certain things, women tend to... They raise their hand for the wrong things, the wrong projects. Like, who wants to plan the holiday party this year? No one else raises their hand, so it's always the female at the table. Okay, I'll do it. Well, that's not going to get them promoted. And that's a big burden. They need to volunteer for the projects that are financially driven for the company. And I was also reading in some of the research I had done um, that women in general are not in the right lines of work. Their occupations do not necessarily line up with those that get promoted to the upper liaisons of uh, corporations. And what do you mean? Well, if you're financial, you have a better chance of being promoted than, say, communications person. You have to know where to come in. and, And I think that's sort of the emphasis in the STEM at school, that they're sort of promoting that women can become engineers, women can become, you know, physicians Ah. and, you know, all these other scientific-related industries. Women don't always have to sort of go to the soft industries where you're not really going to be promoted anywhere. I've heard a lot of very influential women in leadership positions say that brevity is key, even though... The research shows that women speak way more words in a day than men. What do they say? 20,000 words versus men only speak 7,000. We're not as direct. And and we even touched on that when we had uh, Norma Holland and Andrea Holland in on the podcast. We feel like we need to fluff our conversation and be friendlier. And we're not as direct. Well, I always looked at it. I'm a very direct person. So I don't... Oh, we can learn a lot from you. I, I don't really do a lot of fluff stuff. And sometimes people are taken aback by that. They don't. They think I'm being cold or I'm being harsh in a discussion when really I'm just getting to the point. Let's, so did you always... Were you always like that or did you have to learn that? No, I think because I came also from a communications background. Okay. Well, I think you have to know what your objectives are. I was looking at it more... If you go into a meeting mm-hmm. with a team... You better know what your objectives are before you walk in, and you better have rehearsed that. What should be the takeaway from that meeting? Is it going to be that you're going to leave them with recommendations? What if they have questions on those recommendations? Are you going to know that you have answers for those questions? You have to anticipate how you're going to manage that team. And for every project, it changes, but it's the same basic tenets. You're going to know what you want to achieve before you walk in that room. Is it lack of confidence, do you think, that we're not as direct? Yes. I feel like myself, I was thrust into being in a leadership role. Mm -hmm. I would much rather be in a support role. But when pushed into leadership, I realized I can do it. And I think a lot of women don't realize that they can do it. Mm. It's much easier to take a backseat, be part of a team than to take the leadership position. And yes, it takes time and it takes dedication. It takes planning. And I find that those skills are what make them good managers. They just don't realize how much they have. They doubt themselves too much. Perfect segue. Speaking of doubting yourself, a lot of people, women, um, doubt themselves when it comes to 
presenting in front of a group of people. Um, and when you are in a leadership role, you are constantly presenting in front of the group. What advice could you give other women who they feel uncomfortable standing in front of people, their peers, or just in a room with the attention on them? Prepare, prepare, prepare. We also have other things with Women's Council of Realtors where we give inspirations before some meetings. And I had to give one of those. I pulled something that meant a lot to me, practiced it, practiced it again. Some people want to practice it in front of a mirror. I'd rather not look at my bad old ugly self. <laughs> I could never do that either. <laughs> no, I can't do the mirror thing. That would but make it. me too uncomfortable, like self-conscious. <laughs> yeah. um, in the car, that's my spot. Yes. <laughs> so I, that's, I think the important part is women always need to prepare. We always need to be a little bit better than the man at the table. Mm-hmm. Come with a little bit more ammunition because you might need it. You might not, but it should be in your back pocket. Is it okay to show emotion in a leadership role? Yes, although I don't know any professional women who are weepy. <laughs> so some emotion, yes. Um, the speech I gave had some emotion in it, but not so much that I ever lost control or focus. So the fact that we have feelings is not a bad thing. Everybody has them, and the ability to show a little bit and yet have underlying strength is really important. Because when you think of the boss or the head of the company, you just think, what, tough as nails. Right. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't ever want anyone to see me lose my cool. The idea is to be placid. But that doesn't mean that you're not compassionate. You have to be thinking and you have to remain in control. But there are some decisions which have some compassion in them. And, and I think that's only a good thing. Um, how do you work a room? Because that, I feel, is a big part of success. Successful people know how to work a room. Well, considering that I'm a little shy socially, it's different. Are you really? (laughs) I am really. Are you saying that in sarcasm? Because when we first met, I got to tell you, we did this Howard Hanna open house event. And you were the very first person I had a deep conversation with. And it was like we've been friends forever. I think you came into the conversation that I was having with someone else. You were not shy at all. <laughs> well, it must have been a good talking point you were on. So I was, uh, wow, <laughs> I can contribute to that. And you're a very friendly person. Uh, but I find that when I'm in a room with particularly a larger group, okay, I look for a friendly face that I can just start up a conversation with and ask about them. It's not about me. It's mm-hmm. about that person. Mm-hmm. Or... Alternatively, I look for someone that I can give a compliment to. Oh, my gosh, I love your dress. It sounds so cliche, but it gets the conversation started. And then they introduce you to the next person. And then you get to talking about things. And I got to meet your darling daughter who is doing great things for a cause that she believes in. I thought that was fabulous. So you understand that I was also looking, how can I help Women's Council? How can I help my clients? By making that connection. Mm -hmm. So while most leadership women are looking for corporate connections, I'm looking for, okay, are you a really great electrician? Do you have, you know, skills that my client might use? Do you sell insurance? You you know, things that I feel that my clients always ask me about. They always ask me for a contractor, an electrician, a plumber. So we're always trying to gather that information. Okay, so now I have to ask you, because of the business that you are in, How the heck do you resist the temptation to buy every beautiful feature that you see in these homes that you're selling? 
Well, I wish I could afford all the beautiful features, <laughs> but I do believe in updating houses. We just finished updating ours. We thought after so many years, we really needed to start doing some things before we prepare to sell it. Probably in the next few years, we'll look at where we want to move and retirement. Uh, we're not quite there yet, so I still am an active agent. But people who don't update their homes don't get the money for them the way that updated homes do, especially since HGTV has been on. And people oh. now have expectations, even if they're first-time home buyers, about wanting a granite or quartz counter in the kitchen um, they want tile floors. They want hardwoods. But sometimes it's impossible to have all the bells and whistles. We try and train them that because in my generation, it was all about sweat equity. It was buy it if it's not just particularly updated. You can put in a bathroom. And since I've yeah, had the to bones do... Are, the structure the bones are is good. good. Yeah. That's the main thing. People are too dazzled by decorating to see that the construction is much more important. The foundation of the house is much more important than what you cosmetically put into it. But now I've become sort of more of a knowledgeable resource since we put in new granite counters or quartzite counters and painted our cabinetry and put in a new floor. Which, I'm able by the way, how long have you been in the house and you're just putting that in? Yes, 24, 25 years, since 1993. Okay, so see, that is a lesson we can learn from you. Patience. When the time is right, when you can really afford it, that's when you do it. Right, because my daughter and I were very into equestrian showing at one point. So we had a horse or two. Well, that's a tremendously expensive mm. uh, uh, hobby. So at one point it was, do I get a new kitchen floor or do I let my daughter have a horse? Yeah. I mean, we the horse thing now Such and I don't regret mama. it. Yeah. But now it has come my turn to finally do all the things that I really would want to do now that I have that money that I'm not spending on horses or children. So pay attention to the little things. Do the little up, updates, upgrades in the house. Well, and there are standard things that I tell everybody every time I go through a house. There's everybody has doorways that have some nicks. A little paint goes a long way. Spackle paint, you know, make sure it's neat and clean. Nothing sells like clean. Um, all those little things, the nicks and the crannies, they they really show when someone walks through a house, they may not know that's what that is turning them off to the house. Ah. They feel it's worn. That's usually the term we hear, it's worn. What the agent needs to do is spot those things before it goes on the market and say, look, it's only going to take a little of your time. Paint is pretty inexpensive in general. But the more that you've done to your house to make it updated, the better. Because this generation does not want to pay the premium for a house mm -hmm. and spend $15,000 completely painting the whole house, installing the granite or quartz counters, painting or replacing cabinetry and flooring. Small projects, fine. But if you haven't done anything to your house in 25 years, you're going to take the hit in price. It's always condition and price that determines the success of your listing. We have got to bring you back in for a podcast episode just about this stuff, I think. Absolutely. I'd be delighted. Awesome. Susan Hughes, the president of the Women's Council of Realtors and also uh, an agent at Howard Hanna. How can we find you? Howard Hanna Real Estate Services, but I also have my own website, SusanHughesRealEstate.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sandy. Always delightful to see you.
And thank you for listening to the Seven Figures Podcast. If there's any topic that you want us to cover on the show, if you want me to find an expert to dig deeper on a financial question that you may have, let me know. Sandy at RochesterBuzz.com. In the meantime, you have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.